You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. And if you're a guest with us, I want to say we're glad that you're here. We hope that you are greeted and welcomed warmly. We want to let you know that we're not a perfect church. We're not a group of people that have it all together. But one of the reasons we come together each week is because we know how deeply we need God's grace and mercy to help and lead and guide us. And so we're glad that you're here. We're currently working through the Gospel of Mark as we head towards Easter Sunday. And last week, Pastor Jordan walked us through Mark chapter 13, a pretty complicated text with some difficult things. But ultimately, we saw that followers of Jesus are encouraged that no matter what happens around us or in our world, to stay awake, to keep our attention and our focus on Jesus as we await his return. And this morning, we're going to pick up, as we just read in chapter 14, and what we're going to see at the heart of this text is a beautiful act by an unnamed woman, or at least in Mark's gospel, the woman is unnamed, a woman who pours out an extravagant gift upon Jesus. And in doing so, she's going to reveal something about Jesus, and at the same time, she's going to expose something about the religious leaders and even some of the very disciples around Jesus. And here's the main idea I want us to get to this morning by the end of our time, is that the beauty of God is most clearly revealed in the suffering of Jesus. The beauty of God is most clearly revealed in the suffering of Jesus. So let's pray, and then we'll walk through the text together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as people in need of mercy, people in need of forgiveness, people in need of healing and strength, and ultimately people who need to see and behold you. Lord, this morning as we consider this act that you pronounce as a beautiful thing, Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see the beauty in this act and ultimately see the beauty in you and in who you are and what you have done in Jesus? Help us, Holy Spirit. Give us focus. Give us energy. Give us grace. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to walk back through and read verses 1 through the first part of verse 3. Verse 3. Um, So back in verse 1, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. Let's pause there. If there were a soundtrack to Mark's gospel, there would be ominous music starting to play in the background. I'm not a musician, but I assume these are some minor chords going on in the background. With every turn now, Mark is telling us in his gospel that the moment of Jesus' passion is nearing. 
That there's this swirling of mix of evil forces and the wickedness of men and the wickedness of Israel's leaders in Rome that is colluding together to bring about the death of the Son of God. In our text, we see that the religious leaders had heard and seen enough. And they're behind closed doors scheming and planning on how to get rid and murder Jesus. A storm is swirling, and Mark is giving us these clues as we continue to read. Now, verse 3, we keep reading the second half of verse 3, says this. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So here we move in verse 3 into a seemingly safe place of Simon the leper's home where Jesus is at least we think amongst friends, amongst close disciples, Simon was perhaps someone Jesus had even healed. Maybe his leprosy was gone now, but he still has the name Simon the leper. We don't get a lot of information other than we know Jesus is reclining at the table, likely eating, enjoying a meal with close friends. And then all of the sudden we see in the text a woman appears. Now, the woman is nameless in the synoptic gospels, but in John's gospel, it seems that this woman might be Mary Magdalene. We, but, but for the case of our text, Mark leaves her unnamed. And she comes in with an alabaster flask of pure nard ointment. And the text tells us that she breaks the neck of it and she pours it over Jesus's head. Now, if you're a modern reader, this is not at first glance a beautiful scene, is it? We're kind of like, okay, that's kind of weird. We don't really, that would, if you came into my house and took like some, you know, hair gel or, you know, some burial ointment and poured it over my head, like, oh, that's kind of offensive. I don't get it, right? It's, it's weird. But Jesus is going to say that she has done a beautiful thing. Now, let's unpack that a bit. Why is this a beautiful thing? Well, to begin with, this nard ointment we learn is very valuable. It was not just your run-of-the-meal uh, ointment or oil. It was imported, and it was of the highest value. We, some scholars even think that perhaps uh, the, the woman possessed this as a sort of family heirloom that was passed down. It was extraordinarily valued monetarily, uh, the, the amount of denarii here would probably have been about a year's wage for a day laborer. And perhaps it was even sentimental to her. It was something of great meaning and it had been passed on to her. And while anointing 
was a common gesture of the time, a way to show honor. It was not something totally out of the blue to, to do. Uh, olive oil or a cheap oil would have been efficient and, and, and appropriate. But this woman's gift is extravagant. It's worth more than a year's wages. And no doubt when she comes in and just, she doesn't just, you know, put a little bit on Jesus' head. She breaks it and pours the whole thing out upon him. No doubt this was an extravagant scene. Now, I wish I knew I, I had smelled this, but I haven't before. But you can imagine that this was not only a visual sight to behold, but, but the smell was filling the room. This kind of ointment would have been used certainly at times for, for perhaps hair product, but maybe more recognizable, it would have been used to anoint bodies that were, that were dead. It was, a, it was kind of a, a smell of, of both of, of beauty, but also of death. And here we have this woman, unnamed, coming in, Jesus reclining at the table, anointing his head with all that she has. Now let's dig a little deeper. What is so beautiful about this? Well, I want to give us three things to kind of hold on to here. First, I think this act of the woman is a model of adoration. It's a model of adoration for us. What she did, at least by the critical uh, in, in this room, was an irresponsible act of extravagant worship. The critics in the room are quick to point out that, that they could have done so much more with this valuable ointment. You know, we could be feeding the poor. They don't, they don't even mention the fact that what a sacrifice that this woman who comes in, who we don't, it doesn't say she was a rich woman. This woman comes in, no, they don't even mention the fact that this was a great sacrifice for her, that it was a cost to herself. You see, this is what she had that was valuable. And in this moment of adoration, she offers it all to Jesus. Now, we don't know how much this woman understands what she's doing. We don't know how spontaneous, how planned. We don't get a lot of insight to that. But we know that this is an extravagant show of affection to Jesus. I love the detail that they give us that she breaks the bottle. Um, what, what this means, I mean, what this is telling us is that, you know, she could have maybe poured a little out and, and it still would have been, oh, wow, that was pure nard. And you gave a little bit of your pure nard that's worth, you know, thousands of dollars to Jesus. But, but it says she breaks it, which means that she wasn't holding anything back. That this whole gift was going to be completely emptied upon Jesus. Do you see the adoration you see the affection that is being poured out. He's saying, Jesus, I don't have much, but this is what I have of value, and I'm pouring it all out on you. I mean, imagine having dinner with someone, and, and I don't know the occasion, but, but any occasion, really, and they bring out a $50,000 bottle of wine. I don't, I'm not a big wine person, but I hear there's expensive wines out there. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know if any of you have that, but imagine that you, you're at dinner and someone brings out a $50,000 bottle of wine. You're like, oh, maybe we're going to get a little taste and they're going to put it back in the cabinet and they just hit the head off. And you're like, okay, it's all going down tonight, right? It's all coming out. It's an extravagant gesture to Jesus. 
One commentator puts it like this. She pours out on him what is most precious to her. The second thing we see of this beautiful act is it was an unlikely anointing. An unlikely anointing. It was incredibly timely in the Gospels that that she does this. It's not accidental, by the way. It's part of God's sovereign plan of redemption. But in a sense, this is serving as anointing Jesus as king. Have you ever watched The Crown? Anybody, any fans, royal fans in here? Anybody watch The Crown? Okay. I'm not an expert on royalty and anointings, but I've seen the episode, I believe, where the queen is anointed. Uh, and it is extravagant, right? There's gold, there's robes, there's, it's cathedral, it's beautiful. It's everything you imagine an anointing, if you can imagine those, should be. And yet here, we see something quite unimpressive. One commentator helps us see the paradox as they say the divine son, right? The one who dwelled in all glory, is anointed as king in the house of a leper. Not by a priest, but by a nameless woman. What kind of king is this? He comes, as we've read earlier in Mark, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. Anointed not by a priest, but a woman. Not in a palace, but in a leper's house later wouldn't take on a beautiful crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. What kind of king is this? You know, sometimes I think we need to let the biblical stories just make us pause and say, what kind of, ask ourselves, what kind of king is this Jesus? Because what he's doing is intentional. It's sending a message that my kingdom is not like the kingdoms you know in this world. It's in a sense an upside down kingdom. It should cause us to pause and wonder what kind of king is this? Finally, the third thing that makes this a beautiful act is that it's incredibly prophetic. It's incredibly prophetic. It's a prophetic act that foretells of Jesus' death. Now again, we go back to to the woman who's doing this. We don't know how much she knows. We don't know if she gained, you know, the Holy Spirit gave her insight for this moment or she's just kind of responding to, to, to where her heart... We don't know. But we know that Jesus perceives in her actions that her actions are prophetic. They're telling something of what is about to happen to Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 8. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Interestingly enough, later in Mark, Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus' mother, and, and some of the other women disciples would go to the tomb with ointments to anoint Jesus' body. He wouldn't be there then. I don't know if maybe when they smelled it, they, things started to click and they started to understand what had happened here. I don't know. That's me speculating. You see, in a way, this act is beautiful because it tells of something even more beautiful. It, it, it is an act that, that in and of itself maybe is just a little odd to us. Maybe it was 
honoring in the moment, but, but when it's put in the redemptive context, when it's given its prophetic strength, it tells of something more beautiful than even just what has happened. It's being prophetic. You see, just a few verses later, Mark is going to take us into the Last Supper where Jesus further explains the mystery that's being signaled here, where he tells them that he's going to give them that his body will be broken open and his blood will be poured out. You see, I think this beautiful act is meant as every beautiful act is to point us to something more, something beyond the act itself. The time is nearing in the Gospels where when God the Father will offer up to sinful humanity what is most precious to Him, He will take His Son and break Him open, not holding anything back, but dropping every bit of His blood as an extravagant show of love for sinful people like you and me. Do you see the connection? Do you see the, the prophetic work uh, going on in this moment? And many will look at Jesus' sacrifice, and even like this woman, and say maybe it was a waste. Perhaps even some of his own followers. Maybe it was a waste of potential. Oh, he had such political potential. If he could have just kept his mouth a little bit you know, less about calling out the religious leaders and, and calling out Rome. Maybe some would look at Jesus as pouring out extravagant love as, as defiled and foolish. Yet it's in the act of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, his suffering to the point of death that God offers his extravagant love to sinners like you and me. Now, we'll, we'll get to that more in a moment. But there's something else going on by the action of this text. Not only um, does it give, is it called beautiful by Jesus, but there's also a warning for us in this text. You see, beauty, and, and when beautiful things happen in the world, not only do they inspire us, which we're going to get to more of how this should lead us to apply in a moment, but they warn us because they have a way of exposing what is ugly in the world. It's no accident that in our text, it's sandwiched, but this beautiful thing that Jesus calls it, this act of the woman, is sandwiched between treachery of the religious leaders and treachery of Judas. It's a warning against the leaven of the Pharisees and the voice of Judas the betrayer. And Mark is exposing, not only inspiring us, but exposing the wickedness of the religious leaders. You ever watch one of those documentaries where maybe there's a company or a person or even, sadly, a, a pastor who the world kind of esteemed and we were, and we were maybe impressed with from a distance? And, and, then, and then you start, and then they kind of have this rise and fall, and all of a sudden you, you watch the documentary and you're like, oh man, this, is, this was ugly. This was nasty. Like, I can't believe that once, at one point we, we would follow that person or we would want them to, to lead us or we would esteem them. Mark, in this beautiful act, is, is exposing not only beauty but ugliness. 
What are the religious leaders doing right now? What are the people in charge and entrusted with the care of God's temple and his beauty and his glory? What are they doing? They're scheming to murder. And, and they, their hearts had grown so hardened and wicked that when God himself showed up, they, didn't, they thought they were doing a righteous thing in putting him to death. Mark is exposing the ugliness and the hypocrisies of the religious leaders. One people whose pride has, had made them feel so right, so confident, so pure and holy that then when the real Jesus shows up challenging their little world, their response is, let's murder him. There's another warning to disciples. A warning that you can get close to Jesus, as close as where you touched and walked with him for, for years, shared many meals with him, <laughs> and yet your heart can be miles away. There's a warning for us here in Judas. And we don't talk about Judas a lot. You know, sometimes we look, I think we look at Judas and we oversimplify his character. We kind of say, well, he was just greedy. You know, look at him, he just wanted money. And maybe, maybe Judas was just a greedy sucker and he just, at the first sign of money, would just kind of take whatever bribe. But I think it's probably more complicated than that. I think probably Judas had a, had a longing for God's kingdom, but a misdirected idea of what and how that kingdom would come about. And he's kind of following Jesus and he's watching him and he's kind of measuring up Jesus' kingdom with his kingdom and, and little disconnects are happening along the way and maybe Jesus is saying some things that, that rub him the wrong way and challenge his vision and it feels like you've kind of hit this point now in the narrative where all of a sudden Judas is like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. You're, where, what are we doing, Jesus? We're in a leper's house. You're giving away a year's worth of wages. Do you know what we could do with that? Do you know what kind of power we could set up? Do you know what kind of influence we could have? I think at some point Judas realized that Jesus wasn't the king he thought he would be. And we see Judas, which is interesting, you know, sometimes you imagine rebellion is like, okay, Judas, he got into the wrong crowd and he betrayed Jesus by smoking, drinking, and cussing. You know, like he... <laughs> He just couldn't, he couldn't stay away from, you know, he couldn't get off 6th Street, you know, whatever it is. Where does G Judas run to in his betrayal? He runs to the religious leaders. He runs to the religious leaders. You see, here, here's the warning, I think, for us in Judas. And, and let me point this out, too. It doesn't just say, Mark doesn't just say, and Judas scolded the woman. It says, and some, and some scolded the woman, and some became indignant at this act. The way I've seen groups where probably Judas was stirring up some disgruntlement, some contempt towards Jesus, and a few of the disciples who would not betray him, but would still be tempted to look down upon him and say, oh yeah, that's right, Judas, we could have used this money for the poor. What is he thinking? And here's the warning. One, don't be Judas. <laughs> but two, there's a, there's a little voice of Judas in all of us that's nitpicking. 
that's when there's extravagant grace or, or worship poured out that's prone to be the skeptic and, and, and just kind of say, well, they don't really have their theology right, or, or they, they could really do that. Like just, there's this kind of this little subtle contempt for Jesus and his grace and the kind of upside down kingdom that he's bringing that religious pride can fuel in all of us. And the warning is that when we start seeing that, when we start feeling contempt for grace, and love and compassion, and we're like, well, we just need to, you know, get the boots to the ground action. Like, when we start feeling contempt for that, we need to step back. We need to see the trajectory of where that led Judas. We need to hear what Jesus says about this extravagant act and cling back to him. Because here's the thing, Jesus, <laughs> all of us are going to be tempted to give our loyalty to someone else, and especially when our vision of what things should be is challenged by what Jesus' vision for what should be is. So there's a warning in this passage. But ultimately, I think this, this beautiful act is meant to inspire us. I think it's meant, like we said earlier, to be a model of adoration. Have you ever watched a movie or, or heard a story of, you know, maybe a real-life story or even a, a fictional story of something that just moved you internally where you thought, man, that's what, gosh, I, I want to have a purpose like that. I want to I do something beautiful like that. I, I remember watching the movie Into the Spear. Anybody seen the movie Into the Spear, read the book Into the Spear? And, it's, and I won't go into great detail, but it's, it's about a group of missionaries essentially that choose rather than to fight, because they had guns, to fight the tribe they were witnessing to, they were being attacked, they made the decision to give their life up and die so that this tribe could hear the gospel. Literally, this tribe got to see the gospel played out before them in their sacrifice. And you see something like that, and it awakens in your heart a, a deeper longing to say, that's what I was made for. That's who I am at the core of my identity. I was made for sacrificial love. And this action of the woman points to the ultimate act of sacrificial love that Jesus gave. You see, church family, God wants to awaken in us to inspire in us, not just sentimentality, not just feelings, but an inner affection that leads to outward conformity, to outward imitation of Christ. God initiates. He pours out himself completely. He covers our sin and our shame. He breathes new life into our spiritual deadness. He promises to never leave us and to one day, one day raise us to put us completely back together again. And what does God want from us? What does He desire of us? I think Romans 12 helps us out there. I'm not going to quote it completely, but essentially Paul says in Romans 12, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what does he go on to do in Romans chapter 12? He goes to talk about loving one another, loving each other in the body. Here's the connection. 
God wants our hearts as we look at Jesus and his suffering to be so moved and stirred that we see too that the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. That the, the, the beauty of God is most revealed in the suffering of Jesus. And when we look upon the cross, we look upon the passion of Christ, and we meditate on it, and we adore it, it awakens something in us that says, we too want to go be with Him. We too want to pour out our lives, not because we're trying to atone for ourselves or we're trying to make this religious checklist, but because we've looked upon him and found him beautiful. He has done a beautiful thing. And in some way, prophetically, this woman comes to know Jesus in a deeper way because she imitates him. God does not want your sacrifice because he needs you in any way. God wants you to respond to his grace in a sacrifice of offering back what is most precious to you, what is most internal, because in doing so, you know him. What does 1 John talk about? That our love is complete when? When we, when we love as we've been loved. You, you watch children, what do they do for the, about the, the, the people that they love most? They imitate them. They imitate mom and dad. They're, they imitate the, you know, they're out doing Steph Curry three-pointers because they see how, how great he is, right? You go watch kids basketball, it's ruined it. No, I'm just kidding, it's great. <laughs> our calling and our response is a sacrifice that imitates Jesus, not out of compulsion, not out of trying to atone, but out of our hearts have been taken, and there is life. The secret has been revealed. The mystery has been unfolded that life comes through death. It's not the ways of this world as perhaps Judas saw it to be, or maybe the disciples were tempted to see, but it's through the way of the cross. It's in the laying down of life that we find our life. And so we look at Jesus. We keep looking at him as we go through Mark. Jesus, who was broken open like the vase. Jesus, who was emotionally mocked and rejected. Jesus, who was betrayed by his closest friends. We're seeing that in this very moment. Jesus, who will go on to be physically tortured, lashed. Jesus, who was stripped naked and crucified. Jesus, who's blood was spilled out every drop. We see in Jesus that God held nothing back. He completely opened his heart to sinful people like you and like me. The beauty of God is revealed most clearly in the suffering of Jesus. And so this morning, as we respond First, I just want us to consider Jesus, to look to him, maybe to even ask, God, what have you given me? What's, what's most precious that I'm holding on to? 
doesn't have to, this isn't a call for you to give extravagant offering of money. Maybe. I don't know. But maybe there's something else that, that you've held on to and you've kind of held back and, and not motivated by guilt or compulsion, but seeing Jesus, you say, I was made actually to be a giver, an extravagant adorer of you. And I want to give that. Maybe for some it's control. Maybe for some it's your vocation. Maybe for some it's, it's a grudge, it's, it's unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. I just want you to, I want to close and give you a moment to just do business with the Holy Spirit. And even ask the Lord, Lord, what do I have? And if you look at Jesus and your heart is moved to worship, offer that to him. He's not asking you to offer what you do not have. But he wants you. He wants your body, your whole you, offered back to him because in that you will know him more deeply and you will find your greatest joy. Let's pray. Father, you are at your heart a giver. You're an extravagant giver. Some might look at the gift of your son and say, what a waste. What a, what a foolish thing a father to do. And yet you've done it gladly, not because we are uh, worthy of it or we've earned it, but because you are at your heart a lover. And so this morning I pray that you would fill your bride, your church, with the love you have for us. May we receive our belovedness in Christ. And as we are motivated by love, would you open our hands to offer back what is most precious to us, that we could enter the divine dance of the Trinity and offer to you and say, God, I don't have much, but here's what I have today to offer to you, and I want to just give it to you. And I don't want to hold back. I want to break it and offer it to you right here. Holy Spirit, would you lead your people to adore you, to respond with their bodies as a spiritual act of worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.